Well, it is a beautiful day out. It is the temperature to stay inside and enjoy it from your window. It's gorgeous. I hope that everybody is well. Everybody that went up and got back safely. And uh, it was a good time. It's always good to be able to see people from around the state that we never get to see. And it's always good to be able to hear the word. If you're interested, they have them on YouTube. And they are, they are very, very good. Very encouraging. Lots of prophetic word. So today, we're going to look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8 as our focus verse. And it says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So is God more merciful or just? That's the icebreaker. Both of them. More merciful or more just? It's true. Today's lesson is going to be a God of justice. I would declare that the two go hand in hand. Our God is holy. Make no mistake about it. God is holy. And I don't even really know what that means. I know the biblical definitions. I can sit down and show it to you. But as a person, I really don't know what it means that my God is holy. It, I really think, is going to astound me when I look upon the Holy One. That, oh my goodness, I, I, I didn't expect this. I wasn't prepared for what holiness meant. I look at Isaiah. When he finally got a glimpse, he realized how unclean he was as a faithful servant. And our God is a God of justice. This world, as we get closer and closer to the end time, it is said that the spirit of the lawless one will go out in the earth. And that that spirit, it loves to change the laws to make the unlawful lawful. And the lawful unlawful. It likes to just do its thing. And if you look anymore, 
at the world, it doesn't take a lot of looking to see a lack of justice in the world. It's so prevalent anymore that I, I actually start to ask myself, what are they not telling us? If this is what you're going to allow to be known, what are you trying to hide? Because this is, this is getting kind of outrageous. The stuff that is done blatantly, unashamedly. And you just get away with it. Because justice is not equal. Apparently, we say Lady Justice is blind. But our righteous judge sees all things. There is no blindness in him. And we love justice, but we love our version of justice. I want a righteous judge until it's time for me to be judged. Now I would like a little bit of leniency. I would like you not to stringently apply the law towards me. I would like you to find any and every loophole to get me out of this. But God's justice is actually shocking to me. Because if I think of my version of justice, this book would have never made it past Genesis 3. I told, if I was God, I told you, you eat of this, you're going to die. They ate of it. End of story. Done. There'd be none of us to read it. I'd be like, well, I tried. But that's not what God did. It's not what God did at all. What God did is astounding. God released promise. Like that's, that's kind of backwards to me. We're disobedient, so you give promise. And then you as God offer the first sacrifice so that man can be covered. Because he covered them in the coats of skins. They had to come from somewhere. And God didn't think that it was unjust to do so. Because he can't be unjust. When Cain killed his brother, He sat there and looked at him and said, I'm going to put a mark on you that will keep you safe. And God thought that to be justice. Now, I find it amazing. Cain claims my punishment is too great to bear. You, you just murdered your brother. I mean, let's keep it in perspective. And he even adds, Cain even adds, what God didn't say. 
He said, oh, well, I'll be hid from your face. God didn't say that. He said, you'll be hid from the face of the earth. You'll have to be a vagabond. The earth will not produce because of you. Everywhere you go, it's going to stop production. You're going to have to live off of the generosity of others. Forever dependent upon brethren. And so, God deemed that to be justice. The Jewish people, especially the religious people, expected when God came as their Messiah, He would bring justice with Him. He just didn't realize that He would be coming against the Israelites the most. He didn't rebuke the sinners. He invited them. He didn't go after Rome as they thought He would. Instead, He corrected the religious leaders. And that's, uh, that's kind of perplexing. Because can you imagine the Spirit of God doing nothing but rebuking all of us and constantly blessing all of them? It'd be a little perplexing. I'm not saying anything. I, I'd just be like, God, um, what's going on? Is it me? Did I do something? But we find a God that was constantly there for the poor, was constantly there for those in need, rebuked His disciples openly when they tried to prevent children from approaching Him. Most of the rebukes seem to happen in private. Not that one. You got openly rebuked. And then, He goes into the temple to find money changers there, and He proceeds to flip their tables and drive them out with a whip of cords. This isn't the Jesus most people put on their bumper sticker. But you have to notice the offense that's going on. The money changers are selling a sacrifice disconnecting the people from the cost of their sin, just making it an easy transaction through money, taking up the outer court that was meant for the Gentiles, so now the Gentiles have no place to go, and they don't care because you're not worthy to worship our God. At all. And the Lord looked at them, these people who were so upset with tax collectors as they are gaining profit off of changing into temple currency. You're doing the same thing, but it's okay because it's us exploiting us 
rather than the Gentiles exploiting us and you exploiting us for them. I'm exploiting you for him. And that makes it okay. Well, the Lord, he had something to say about that. And the thing is, is we see it from the very beginning because Noah found favor in God's sight. During a period where the thoughts of men were evil continually. Continually. Without ceasing. That from the moment their eyes popped open to the moment that they closed them, there was not a moment, not a pause, where they're like, man, you know, I should do some good today. Never. Continually evil. And yet, it says that there is a way that is right in man's own eyes. I'm sure that they all thought they were okay. It's okay that I do this. Because it's the culture. It's okay. Everybody else is doing it. And yet the Lord is looking and saying it's evil continually. And somehow Noah finds favor. Now I'm not telling you that Noah is Jesus. And that he was without sin. But Noah walked with God in a manner that God found favor and then told Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. I need you to build something. Here's the dimensions. And I remember, I forget who preached it, but it blew my mind when they said that out of all the dimensions that you'll find on the ark, the door is without dimension. Because you get to decide how big this door will be. But what is commanded is that you will build it with its door open. Because only God is permitted to shut it. When God told his disciples, upon this rock I will build my church. It will always be built with an open door. Because only God is permitted to shut that door. The fact that we are allowed to come in is astounding. If we were to sit here and put a list of all our transgressions up on the wall, we would be astounded. We're allowed to sit here. Now, I'm not trying to bring anything up. I'm not putting shame. I'm talking about the greatness of our God to let us be a part of this. And because I can't understand holy, I can't understand how bad it is that those sins are against him. I really don't understand. And I completely don't understand his form of justice. However, God's form of justice is very clear. He gave us the cross. 
If anybody ever questions, does God hate sin? Look to the cross. Yes, God hates sin. Without a doubt, God hates sin. However, God loves sinners. It is such a conundrum, such a paradox, that he can look on me and say, I don't like what you're doing, but somehow disconnect from what I am doing to who I am. Who I was supposed to be. Who he created me to be. Everything in this world tries to identify you and label you. We have spirits running around this world everywhere. They are running amok. And everything tells the sinner who they are. You are an addict. You are an alcoholic. You are a homosexual. You are this. You are that. And that is your identity forever. And yet God says, no, you are mine. You were created by me, for me, for my pleasure, because I wanted you. You weren't created for the sin. You were created for me. And so when I look around this world, I can see clearly the effect of injustice. Injustice will put doubt into people's hearts immensely. I mean, faith in our government is at an all-time low. It's at an all-time low. I don't care which side you want to be on. It's at an all-time low. Faith in our media is at an all-time low. I think they just reported 26% believe the media. And so the consensus is, we're almost there, only 26% to go. But the more un injustice that happens, the less people will ever have faith in it. The reason we have the problems we have is because of injustice. Injustice is like an offense that wounds, it festers, it becomes bitter. Slavery was horrific, but it, and it was an injustice. Unfortunately, slavery continues on this day across the face of the world. And slavery, in its worst kind, Spiritual slavery continues every day. Everywhere, every village, every city, every town, every house, you can find it. And so, as I walk around the world and I see, I see a world of such blatant injustice such blatant disregard for one another, 
for laws, for everything. The natural reaction is to call God and say, God, we demand justice. And yet, if I truly want justice, where I have to point them is to the cross. Because that's where sin went to be crucified, nailed up, and judged. That's where sin was judged. I don't want you to go to the white throne because that's where sinners are judged. I want your sin judged, not you. We shouldn't be wanting God to come in His wrath. That is not a desire we should have. We should want God to pour out so that He draws them. And I have found with me, I have no problem accepting that people transgress against God, but I will demand justice when the transgression is against me. That's just the reality. It's okay that they crucified him. It's not okay you're trying to crucify me. Oh, you speak against him. You spit on him. Well, he's God. He's so gracious. And yet, I sit here and I ask God, God, I really want to get close to you. I want to have a walk. I would love to be intimate and have this closeness. And all of a sudden, God starts to share with me how he gets treated. And all of a sudden, I don't want that walk anymore. Hey, God, you going to do something about this? And all God will say is, Pray for them. Pray for them. Okay. Let me go find my favorite fiery verse. <laughs> that ain't how I told you to pray. Because one of the things that I realize I don't understand is when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They knew they were crucifying him. They knew who he was claiming to be. They knew he worked miracles. They knew he spoke words with such eloquence and wisdom. They had never heard anything like this before. What do you mean they don't know what they do? And I really believe People do not understand the e in eternal impact of their choices. That it's, they're done in such eternal ignorance, they don't understand what they're doing. To the point that it even says the princes of this world would not have crucified the Christ if they had only known what was going to happen. Well, church, 
What would I do different if I understood eternity? You know, I sat here and I, I watched this thing on hell from, uh, help me, brother, no, nope, Chester Wright, brother Chester Wright, and that man, if you ever needed a rebuking message, by all means, he is a professional rebuker. <laughs> professional surgical with it he will have you hurting inside and he started talking about the hell that people face and one of the things that I had missed and that God began to stir on me was he brought up the rich man and Lazarus now, I've noticed before, the rich man, he has no name that is listed in this book because his name is blotted out. So he's just known for what he was. There's no more name to call him by. And he sits in torment. And Chester Wright sat there and said, do you realize how much torment they are in? That merely a drop of water is considered relief and mercy to them. And I realized, I realized something that, that just blew my mind of the hell I sat in before I knew Christ. I sat in a pit of depression and despair and anger and hopelessness and I could logically think and it did not get me out of it. I could analyze everything I was going through and it would not change my circumstance. I could sit there and breathe, and yet it wouldn't stop the cravings. There I was. I wanted something I couldn't have. I desired peace. And there was no peace. None. Not in my sleep. Not in my life. Went to therapy. Told them, hey, I'm having war trauma. That was a hard thing to admit. Because when we first went in, we were told we were cowards and betraying our brethren to say such a thing. So it was going against everything I believed to go seek help. Only to have them tell me, there's no help for you. We cannot fix this. You will have this till the day you die. The only thing I can do is teach you so that you don't kill someone or kill yourself. 
Well, what kind of life is that? Well, here, we can give you drugs that will just gray out everything. You won't feel any emotion. Well, what kind of life is that? That's not much better than where I'm at now. And so I sat there going, God, I don't believe in you. And people, well, you're just going to have to live like this. You're just going to have to live like this. And yet when God came in, all of a sudden, a hope came in that I did not deserve. And it's because I didn't deserve it that it is so great. Because it was not based on what I did. It was based on what he did. And that's why it is just that we can sit here and receive mercy. People do not understand why every road doesn't lead to God. Why every religion doesn't lead to God. And it makes sense if you listen to them. But it only makes sense, that argument, all roads lead to the Lord, if you are looking at it from man trying to reach God. We're all taking a path to you. But the reason there is only one way to God is it's not man trying to reach God. It's the path God took to reach man. I am following the path He took, not the path we chose. That's why it is justice. When you come into this courtroom and you are repenting, you are admitting, I'm guilty. And you are throwing yourself at the mercy of the judge. And so he condemns your sin and says, I executed it on the cross. And now since I have executed your sin, we have to bury it. You don't just let death walk around. You have to bury it in the name of Jesus Christ in the water. That way, I can come up a new man ready to receive his Holy Spirit. And all of this, none of this do I deserve it. That's what's so amazing is it's not injustice because He justifies us. It's what He did. The Bible says that all the gold could not purchase one soul. All the treasure could not redeem one soul. Do you understand the riches of our God? That He redeemed all of us from sin. And it never bankrupted him. It never put a dent in his wealth. He is that great that he took our debt, paid it in full, and says, you haven't even begun to experience my riches. I just set it to zero. 
Now I want to give you inheritance. This is our God doing the greatest form of justice I've ever heard. I owe a death sentence and he paid it. Our salvation is not something, oh, well, I think I acknowledge you. You came to pay my debt. And that's what justice is. The word justice literally means righteousness. We are righteous according to His righteousness. None of the righteousness I have is of me. That's self-righteousness, and that's as filthy rags. However, it says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why do you think that in the end time, God would allow the lawless one to go forth in the earth and affect justice in the way that he has if it is not to create hunger for righteousness? Because when the Spirit and the bride say, come, come. Anyone who thirsts, come. And is it not amazing what is taking place in this world? People are getting sick of it. And they're looking. We just got preached to that God is filling, on average, around 50,000 souls a year. They said that's one soul every two seconds. Do you realize that Sunday school is 45 minutes long? 45 minutes long. Okay, we're looking at what? 40 times 60, so we're looking at 2,700 souls. 2,700 souls in a Sunday school lesson. 3,000 were added in a day. We will have over 3,000 before the end of service. And it is because of His justice that He is coming against that which is holding us captive. When he came in and drove them out, he said, you have turned my house into a den of thieves. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the things that God helped me on was as I watched people in my life that I care about begin to transition from the appearance of holiness into the appearance of the world. And be frustrated. Frustrated. Why are you doing this? Why are you choosing this? And the Lord began to deal with me and He said, do you not understand what you're seeing? I said, yeah. Rebellion. <laughs> and he said, no. 
No. Not as you think it is. He said, what you are seeing is a stolen identity. They no longer understand who they are because the enemy has gotten a hold of it. And because they don't know who they are in me, they no longer pattern themselves after me. And because he stole their identity as a child of God, he tells them, you are of the world. And they begin to look like the world. Because something has been stolen. And here I am being mad at the victim rather than the thief. You see, God rather deal with my sin through preaching than through his throne. Because when I get up there, it's too late. He'd rather tell you here. And that's why it's so amazing that when they had the Old Testament pattern and they would go forth and the high priest would stand there, he would have to dip his finger in blood and sprinkle it towards the mercy seat. Seven times. Do you understand that sometimes this man of God is going to stand up here and wag his finger at you and tell you, your sin needs to be dealt with. But I'm telling you, if you follow that finger, it's not pointing you to hell. It's pointing you to the one that sits at the mercy seat. He's telling you where to bring it. You have this. It needs to come here. You need to repent. You need to find a place where you can put this under the blood. It is not condemnation that is flinging out of his finger. It is the blood of the lamb that is there to cover and cleanse us. Why? Because God desires mercy. But he did it through justice. It is not injustice that my sins are cleared. It is because he is just. He didn't just, oh well, oh well. Yeah, that doesn't matter anymore. It did. And church, while we were being preached to up there, he declared, the preacher declared, that one billion people have experienced the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And here's what's amazing is Brother Eli Hernandez, right before he passed away, one week before he went into the hospital, God gave him a prophecy and said, when the backsliders return, know that it is the first fruits of my end time harvest. And I'm sitting here going, God is the first fruits of what we're about ready to see a billion strong. Because we haven't even gotten into harvest yet. We're dealing with first fruits. And church, here's the thing. None of us are perfect. 
If that was the criteria, none of us would be here. I mean, that's just the way it is. And yet there was a man that Jesus talked about in a parable that went before a king and he had a debt that was so great there was no way for him to pay it. And he begged the king, please, please, I'll find a way to pay it. And the king was so moved that he erased the debt. And it's not that, oh, it's erased. It's now the king's burden to pay it. The debt is still incurred. But the king says, I won't make you pay it. I'll cover it. And somehow that man walked out and went to somebody who was indebted to him for such a minuscule amount compared to what was just forgiven that he began to beat this man and demanded payment. Church, I have been guilty of this. You come and have wounded me, offended me, and I demand my apology rather than demand you come to the king. Rather than me realize what I've been forgiven is so much greater than what you just did to me. God showed me one time me holding rocks in my hands, a pile of stones. And it was bigger than me, which is, I mean, I'm short. It's not, it's not much of a statement, but it was a big pile. I had two handfuls. And I'm looking at my offender in my dream. And I'm just waiting for the word go. Just waiting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cock back and just Nolan Ryan on you. I'm going to send it, old, the old heater number one, right down the pipe. And I heard a voice in my dream that said, cast your stones down. And in my dream, I said, no. No, I won't. No, I won't. And I heard it again, cast your stones down. I said, no. Do you see this? I said, none of this is made up. None of this is by accident. None of this is deception. And I said, look at them. They're not even sorry. Look at them. And I heard, is that how you want to do this? Is this the real way you want to go? I said, yeah. And all of a sudden, my dream panned from my offender, and I looked at a mountain bigger than any mountain I've ever seen. And that voice said, fine, this is what I have against you. Fast as I could empty my hands. Church, we're brothers and we're sisters. We're family because we share a heavenly father. He is just to forgive us. 
to honor him, we forgive one another. Because if you ever had siblings, we're going to get on each other's nerves at times. We're going to hurt each other's feelings at times. But I promise you, nothing we do to each other even begins to compare to the debt that we incurred with him. And he was just to forgive us, to restore us, and to show such abundant mercy that we inherit eternity. There's no other reason that we should be thankful to gather together on this brutally cold day to give thanks that God found it within himself to justify us through his own justification. Amen. Well, it's almost that time. Please get some coffee. Make sure you wake up. Make sure you greet one another and get ready to worship the one that has allowed us in this house. Amen. <clears throat>